You are entering the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Rabbit Hole Podcast. The Rabbit Hole Podcast. Rabbit Hole Podcast. The Rabbit Hole Podcast. Peace and blessings, everyone. This is Shane Hare, and you're listening to the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Today is our 19th, that's right, 19th session of Rabbit Hole Podcast, talking to very interesting um, leaders within our community. Uh, Our last podcast, we spoke to the uh, uh, a, a scholar, a communication scholar from Cal State East Bay, uh, Dr. Carderis. Make sure you check out her her podcast. She had a lot of interesting uh, things to say. Um, so listen in. Um, today we have a, another wonderful guest, a spectacular guest, I must say. Um, she is a principal of a high school in the Bay Area. Her name is Shamar Shakes, Shanks, and uh, we're going to go ahead and bring her in right now and just talk about, you know, all the things that we normally talk about on the Rabbit Hole podcast, what makes a person a, a leader in the field, what has it actually, uh, what did it actually take for them to be where they are today? Of course, we all know that it's hard work, but we like to actually get their perspective and learn some of their, uh, you know, tricks and of, of how, how they become so accomplished in their area um, um, that, that they specialize in right now. So without further ado, um, we're going to go ahead and bring in Shamar. Shamar, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Good morning. How are you doing today? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thank <laughs> you for having me on your podcast. Thank you very much for, uh, you know, wanting to be part of this this podcast. Um, You know, it's a platform where uh, we talk to like-minded individuals who are leaders. Uh, We've had a few uh, uh, college students, uh, individuals who's, you know, basically starting out on their journey uh, of life and, you know, uh, whatever their aspirations and goals are. Um, but, but the majority of our, our guests have actually been, uh, professionals in the field of health, technology, education, um, and let's see here, science. So, um, we have an ongoing theme of just, um, minorities, particularly African-American, uh, men and women is doing wonderful things. They're leaders in their particular fields. So for our guests, how about we go ahead and just talk about you a little bit today? I know we have a little bit of time today, so we'll go ahead and get straight to the point. Um, so you are a, a high school principal. How did yes. you uh, I, uh, you become a principal? What does what does it take to become a principal? Uh, well, it's a good question. Um, I'll make a very long story short. Um, I actually originally wanted to be a sportscaster. And so how did I make the transition to education? Well, um, I do remember probably around the age of 12 saying, you know, I want to be a sportscaster and I also want to be a history teacher. And I went ahead and pursued my undergraduate degree in communications as, um, you know, attempting to become a sportscaster. So I did a lot of internships, worked in the industry in the heart of L.A., and so was able to get a lot of exposure and experience 
um, got to the point where I was about to graduate and the final um, package that a friend and I put together, we were interviewing a teacher and she wow. talked about how rewarding it was and just, it was amazing. And it was just something I should look into. So it really just yes. kind of um, watered the seed that was already in me. And yes. so uh, I decided to go ahead and research and basically investigate, like, did I do this, you know? And so mm-hmm. I ended up staying at um, USC for a graduate program, and it was a uh, master's degree where you get a master's and you also get your teaching credential. And so I um, was basically in the heart of L.A., started out at Inglewood High School as a long-term mm-hmm. substitute. I was like, I don't think I can do this, you know, had a really good relationship with the students. Um, that was always my interest and always working with underserved students was really where my heart was at that time. It still is. And so um, from that experience in Los Angeles, I did move to the Bay Area and had my most rewarding experience actually in East Oakland um, at an alternative school at the time. So I tell people all the time, everything that I do today, I credit that experience um, when we talk about leadership it's just this idea of whatever it takes. Um, I learned that working with some of the toughest kids in um, East Oakland. And then from there, um, I was working with a literacy coach, and I remember her coming into my classroom one day and saying, I think you would be a great administrator. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, I had barely been in the game of teaching. And she said, well, you see, Berkeley, they have a um, a scholarship program to get your um, master's in um, education administration. So I said, really? You know, and so I said, well, let me look into that too. And so, um, you know, a couple of years into that, um, mm-hmm. I went ahead and got accepted. Um, my, the first answer was no, and then it became yes. That's another long story. But yes. um, Nevertheless, I got accepted into the program, was happy to actually stay in the classroom because I felt like I still, there were some things I still need to learn and work on, but a lot of the things I really, um, were, a lot of the things came natural for me. I, I do believe that teaching is a gift. Um, you obviously have to work on your craft, but I think initially it is something special that's just in you or not in you. Um, and so from right, that I, point. I would have to be a people's person right the people a person who, who who really like people and really like right. uh, you know being around them and teaching them things right and what it, i would also add to that is you have to um like kids because there are unfortunately right. educators who like the content more than they actually like kids and so um, they get into the field because they really like a particular subject and for mm-hmm. me i really like kids um, and so the subject, you know, we could go back and forth with, but um, to me, the best teachers are those who know how to walk that balance between the content and, you know, obviously working with um, youth. So um, so to get back to kind of the timeline, I did the program, was happy to stay in the classroom, but I ended up getting the job as an assistant principal at another Bay Area high school, and so did that for four years and then transitioned so- Shamar, let me just ask you a question here. So uh, from the point where you finished your graduate's degree at USC mm-hmm. and then you moved to the Bay Area, how long was it until you actually became a assistant principal? So that had to be probably five, five to six years later. Mm-hmm. I actually became an assistant principal from the transition 
um, because I taught, you know, I taught like four or five years in Oakland, and then it was about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half um, for the program, the preparation program, and then I became an assistant principal. So um, it was definitely a quicker path. A lot of people in education, you know, they all move into administration after 20 years, you know, um, in the classroom. I had a much quicker path. Um, I think to a certain extent it's been a blessing and a curse, Um, but I also know um, from a very young age, uh, my father um, is a minister, and he would Mm -hmm. give us these, uh, they were kind of like assessments, like what are your gifts, you know, what are your spiritual gifts, what are the things that are in you, and administration would come up as one of my gifts, even, even as a young person, I can remember even as far back as like when I was 15, and so I knew, again, that I had a knack for this, even though I was, you know, relatively young to be in the position that I was in, um, I already knew it was in me and I knew it would just be a matter of studying, learning, growing, continuing to surround myself around people who know this field, you know, um, and, you know, teach me, but also um, compliment me. And so I think one of my strategies or secrets, so to speak, um, is really having a balanced team around you because they're automatically going to be things that you bring to the table, but they're also going to be things that you don't bring to the table. And so really diversifying your team or your support people around you so that together you guys are a solid, strong unit. Um, and, I would say and, that. And, at what point did you actually realize that that team, um, at what point did you actually humble yourself enough to know that, you know what, I might not be strong in these, this particular area, so let me go ahead and identify those individuals who have those strengths to, to build a very dynamic, strong leadership team? Um, I remember as an assistant principal working for a principal who said to me, she said, I would never hire anybody like myself. And she said, I want every single person on my team to be different. I want every single person to bring different strengths to the table. So I actually learned it as an assistant principal and just carried that same mindset over to when I became a principal. And so um, on my current team, you know, 45% of our population is Latino. Um, most of them speak Spanish. So, of course, I'm going to bring in somebody who's bilingual. You know, it's yes. not a deficit of mine. It's just something I don't know how to do. <laughs> and so I'm going to bring that component in, right, in community because they have people that they can relate to, people they can speak mm-hmm. with. You know, I've mm-hmm. hired um, several Spanish-speaking um, staff um, to accommodate that particular population. I have another um, assistant principal who is what I would call a brainiac. I mean, just super smart, you know, and I, I always have said that between the both of them, I was the merge of both of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I have one kind of A-type personality, extremely organized, and then I have a, a, an assistant principal who's more relational and a people person and friendly, and I'm kind of both of those things, if that makes sense. And so it makes for kind of a well-rounded team. The other thing that you learn is everybody on your faculty is different and who they respond to and different personality types that they respond to. If if it's in your power, you want to have that represented on your team because um, everyone's not going to necessarily like me or like my style or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of go with how I go, but they may with my assistants or other people that I've brought onto 
um, the staff. And so um, it's just being smart. You know, you don't have to fight it. I think mm-hmm. um, maybe mm-hmm. one of the downfalls is sometimes leaders think they have to be all things to all people. And I just don't think that's feasible, you know, be your best self, right? And then right. where you need to strengthen or kind of round it off, that's where you fill in the support, you know. Yeah, that that's that takes a um that must take some very deep within yourself to really take a step back and really kind of look at the bigger picture. Um, and come up with a team of these different um, strengths and personalities and skill sets um, to really um, connect, uh, I guess, in your case, with the parents, um, with the other administrators, and, of course, with the students. Um, How long did it actually take you to actually build a team um, that, that, you know, that kind of represents everything that you um, that, that you, I guess you foresee for your school or where you want to go with your school into the future? Well, one of the challenges, um, that I had when I first became a principal at my current site is I had two principals that initially I inherited. Um, they were not, I did not select them. And unfortunately there was a lot of baggage connected to those people, that school, And from my particular vantage point, they were okay people, you know, but from a professional standpoint, they essentially were trying to sabotage my success and did not aid in helping me um, make a transition to that school, being, you know, brand new as a principal, brand new to the site. Um, To a certain extent, I felt they laid traps for me to fall in. So the superintendent at the time who hired me, realized some of that was going on and actually decided to let them go. So that was very traumatic for the school because they had been at the school the last, you know, 18 years or so. And so um, it created this rift. It created this big question mark over the school because even though the school was not excelling or prospering or thriving, it was familiar. Um, That their leadership was familiar to the school. And so that, began the beginnings of the unrest that I had to um, endure, deal with, you know, triumph over. Um, And so I would say it was basically two years later after coming into the school that I was actually um, able to hire um, two assistant principals that um, were my selection. So there was one year where there was one essentially incumbent and then a new person. And then the second Mm -hmm. year I was Mm -hmm. actually able to hire, you know, a second person. So I had hired my team and that team was fabulous. Um, I tell people all the time, that's the team that helped me move mountains. Um, And we both Mm -hmm. agreed that you never leave a school until it's better because you were there. And so um, the two people at the time were those people for me and their, you know, friends, colleagues, soldiers, you know, we had to we had to go through a lot, but they were a huge support for the school and um, for myself. So let's talk about that for a quick second. You saying during that two period period um, time period um, during when you first started the school there and um, the superintendent had to actually release some of the, uh, I guess, administrators or teachers who've been there for a while before you. What did it take within you to really, you know, really stick, you know, I don't know if you can say probably stand your ground, really believe in your vision 
and really move forward past all of that. I would imagine in a normal situation, a lot of people would just crumble and just break and just back out. What 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 did you use to actually move forward um, to get to the point where you are right now, where the high school you're at? is a thriving high school. I understand that the API school scores have increased. You've uh, created um, a lot of uh, great programs, international um, uh, type programs, um, you know, at your school. What did it take during that period to really believe in your vision to move forward through all of that? So I have a response. Um, I would say I have two fathers. One is a heavenly father and one is a father on <laughs> earth. <laughs> and so lots of phone calls to both. I'll put it to you like yes. that. <laughs> yes. That's wonderful. And so honestly, it was really a spiritual, um, mm -hmm. it was a spiritual walk. Um, you know, we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes. And truthfully, that's the only thing that got me through that because it was a personal attack. It was professional attacks. Um, I dealt with anonymous notes, letters. Oh. They would survey every three to six months. I was getting a new survey um, in my box with the results and petitions from teachers to say I'm not basically doing my job. And so um, I had never experienced um, anything like that mm -hmm. and definitely not to the degree. And I never forget reading um, Daniel Goldman. He has a book called Working with Emotional Intelligence. And he mm -hmm, says, mm -hmm. the thing that got you in the door is not necessarily going to be the same thing that keep you there. And, and mm -hmm. basically what that means is we all have qualities and traits and work ethics that actually gets the doors to open up. But once you're actually in the door, what do you do? And that actually sometimes requires a different skill set. And so, um, like I mentioned earlier, my dad is a minister. And so at the end of the day, we're both in the business of people. And so a lot of wisdom, obviously, my dad, for 40, 50 years, he was able mm -hmm. to, um, you know, share with me as far as how you deal with people. Um, mm -hmm. As I mentioned earlier, I kept myself in the position to stay mentored, um, to read, to study, um, you know, because it's, it's always both. You can never just, you know, um, smooge people into, <laughs> you know, um, doing doing what the vision is. You have to, you know, be competent. You have to be um, well-studied. You have to have examples and samples and, you know, experience to kind of back you up. And so um, I did have the fortune of working with, uh, it was called Stanford's Fellowship, program and it was basically a cohort of principals from the Bay Area mm. and they would basically bring in all of the educational gurus and so the books that you were reading those people were showing up to our class to give us kind of firsthand okay. um, information and insight and so like I said a combination of just um, a personal support system um, you know being strong you know spiritually and then also um, making sure I kept myself in the position to continue to learn. And so I would say a combination of those three things really helped me get through. I do have a naturally, um, I do have the ability to, you know, kind of dig my heels in. Like, no, we are going to stay focused. Um, yes. This is about kids. And so I understand, you know, you don't like how that was said or how that email was written or my tone of voice, but unless you can really 
challenge the idea and, sh- and show me why the idea is bad for kids, then at the end of the day, you know, decisions have to be made. And so, um, you know, they call it grit, you know, persistence. Um, I do naturally have those qualities and I just use them <laughs> for the purpose, in my opinion, you know, to benefit kids. Um, unfortunately, in education, a lot of times um, school leaders make decisions based on the personalities that are in the building. They make decisions based on what they call like social capital in the sense of um, if I do this to this popular teacher, you know, there could be consequences. And sometimes leaders don't make tough decisions because they don't want to create the friction or they don't want to um, create waves. But I'm a believer if the waves mean kids benefit, the waves mean kids will thrive, we're going to create some waves, you know. And that takes me back to my teaching experience in East Oakland. Um, We didn't have the luxury of um, fighting each other as colleagues. We needed to work together so that kids could, you know, um, get everything that was in us out of us. And so, again, I take that same approach to my um, leadership. So, Shamar, uh, what does a principal do? Is that when you're looking at the hierarchy of, uh, say, a business, would that be considered something as like the CEO of the business? Are you the very you're the vision maker? You're the one that basically leads the school, um, you know, you know, with various strategies and um, into the future there. Um, As far as hierarchy in the school district, principals are um, generally what we're considered middle management. Um, We Mm. do have bosses. um, Our bosses are the superintendents of the district. Mm. Um, A superintendent's job is vast, but they definitely set the vision for the school district. And then it's my job as the principal to translate um, their vision and have it fit for our school Uh, I'm in a good situation in the district that I currently work at that we are on the same page. So I don't have to fight my district in that sense. Late and transfer information that the district is giving us to our school site and then work within the context of our school. Every single school is different. The personalities, the cultures of every single school is different. And so it becomes the principal's job to um, you know, hire great faculty and staff, which is, in my opinion, the best. If you can put your money on anything, that's where you put your money because having a great faculty is going to um, is going to tremendously make things better for for students and the school. Um, and so, I do a lot of hiring. Um, we do what we call teacher evaluation. Um, we roll up our sleeves, get dirty. I have a, a professional development coming up this next week and the night before the professional development I will be wrapping potatoes in foil because we're going to have a baked potato bar for lunch and so <laughs> when people ask me what do principals do we do a little bit of everything, everything. Right. Right. <laughs> we have to supervise the dances the games um, you know like I said constantly working with parents students the community um, you know, it's a vast, an, uh, an array of, of tasks that we do. That's wonderful. What do you like most? Uh, actually, let me ask you this. How many uh, students and faculty 
are currently, you know, have under you? So I have a faculty of about 65 teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, our student population is a little bit over 1,100 students. Mm -hmm. um, I do have a relatively small high school in comparison to most high schools in California, which tend to trend closer to 2,000 plus. Um, so it is a manageable size of the school as far as faculty and staff. Classified, I have about 40 staff, so I, I'm, I oversee in total about 100 adults and then a little over 1,100 students. That's wonderful. Where do you see the future of, uh, you know, uh, public high schools and being led, you know, from a uh, principal perspective? Um, you know, what, do you see it actually changing? Do you see it um, getting uh, much um, larger, you know, as there's the population growth? With that in California, we've been hit by the recession over the last several years where they actually reallocated a lot of students to, you know, where some districts might have two or three high schools and they probably consolidated them down into one. Um, and some, mm -hmm. I understand, also are, are going to online teaching, you know, and things like that that nature. How do you see education uh, for public schools actually uh, moving forward into the future? Mm -hmm. um, I have the experience of um, knowing that there's always, you know, pluses and minuses. Um, I think there are some public schools who are doing phenomenal things and phenomenal work and innovating and trying to think outside of the box. You have some schools who are just surviving and they are, you know, their constraints on whatever system that they're working in. And so it limits their greatness, if that makes sense. Um, I'm most concerned about what I call kind of the zip code divide. Um, if I step outside of my situation um, as an educator, that's very concerning to me that certain zip codes benefit from certain resources and other zip codes don't. I know the state has recently kind of re-tweaked or retooled how they do um, funding for schools, and supposedly it's supposed to help, but unfortunately, even that tweak that the state has made does not accommodate what parents can fundraise, and that's kind of um, a taboo topic um, because if one school's parent foundation can raise $500,000, and the next schools can only raise $5,000. Students who go to the school where the parents raise $500,000, they are going to benefit from additional right. resources. So the state could be giving both schools the same exact amount of money, but their stat is, um, you know, at an advantage. And so uh, we don't do a lot of discussion about that because to me that's the <laughs> real inequity. Um, yes. That's an inequity, and so that's why you have property values being driven up. You know, mm -hmm. you know, we only certain kinds of people are going to live in this community, and you know, go to these kinds of schools, and that's a crime because every child deserves the best education um, that they can get. So, um, like I said, there are public schools who are doing amazing work, um, and there are public schools that just there are some always going to be some restraints. I think public schools have been asked now to be everything you know mm -hmm. once upon a time you did go to school just to learn how to read and write and do math now social work mental health um you know parenting classes um mm -hmm. technology classes i mean mm -hmm. 
essentially a one-stop shop. And that's tough because the needs are great. Um, when I think about different communities, the needs are so great. And so any school, in my opinion, worth their salt is going to try to do things in all of those categories. Um, but if there are certain resources that are limited, you're only going to be able to do so much. But it does not change who's walking in the building. And if kids have needs that you can't meet outside of English, math, and writing, you're going to be in trouble, you know. So, um that's kind of my perspective on kind of the larger educational landscape. You, you know, what, one, one, one other question for you, you as a principal, I would love to hear your perspective of education and how to use education. Mm-hmm. My perspective is, and it's really my value system, my philosophy. I really believe that every single child represents a generational line. And if Absolutely. I can reach this one child, that child one day is going to be an adult who has children. If I can reach that one child, the domino effect or the possibility, you know, you want to position people for success. And if you've had a great educational experience that launched you into post-secondary you know, education, where you were able to get a degree, potentially have a job that puts you at a better financial um, mm-hmm. state than maybe your parents, mm-hmm. then now we're talking about a generational domino effect. My parents mm-hmm. always say, I want you guys to be better than us. I want mm-hmm. you guys to go and accomplish more than we accomplished. And so in my family, me and my sister kind of represent that first generation mm-hmm. out. I have the responsibility now with my own children to, you know, set them up for that same type of ex- success, if not better. So I take the same approach to education that every child has that potential. Every child has that possibility. And that's my job is to set you up for success so that there could be generational improvement um, over time. And it has to start somewhere. And so um, that's one of my core values. I'm here for the future. You represent the future. So I have to invest in you to set your future up to be better. And then from your role, you being the principal and you having that vision, that have to actually funnel your administrators into your teachers um, and through your teachers into those, thousand, you know, um, 1,100 students that they're currently teaching right now. So, you know, I, I believe with the vision that you have, um, that can actually multiply into a huge traditional um, boost forward for these next students that's coming through your system right now. That's great. So, Shamar, when you're not taking classes, when you're not, you know, leading uh, a, 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 a huge high school, what do you do um, in your, you know, in your free time? Well, what free do time do is a to relax? word. <laughs> <laughs> free time. What is free time? Um, uh, to relax, I love sports, and so um, I'm definitely a sports fan. I won't name mm-hmm. my teams because I don't want to make any of your listeners upset, but <laughs> <laughs> I love sports, so I, you know, I'm a big sports center kind of a person. Um, I love music. I love live music. I enjoy spending time with my family, and, you know, we go to church. We spend family time. Um, I like comedy, uh, anything that's light. Um, 
things that tend to be more lighthearted where I tell people I don't have to do a lot of thinking, I like <laughs> because my brain is always on. And so um, even the shows when I come home, I don't want to watch a show where I have to figure out who, you know, solved the murder crime. I don't want to think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely very lighthearted things. Um, is is tend to where I kind of find some solace. <laughs> what's your what's your favorite technology or application that you use? Hmm. Um, for my purposes, um, kind of more of the administrative role, they're um, amazing, you know, apps and technology pieces. But for my very practical role, as far as what I need to use a computer for, is definitely um, Google, Google Docs, Google Drive. Um, Google has an entire, you know, suite of um, things that help my job become easier, whether it's, you know, presentations, whether it's um, Excel sheets, um, things of that nature um, make my job easier. We do Google Docs because you can share them and have multiple people collaborate on the same document. So that's something that um, I use regularly. Uh, Thank you again, uh, Shamar. I know that we're limited on time today. And I want to go ahead and let you go. But before I let you go, uh, for, you know, uh, you know, those who aspire to be um, educators, um, administrators, teachers, um, do you have a way through social media for individuals to contact you? Um, I have just a regular email account. I do have a Facebook um, account as well. But if someone wanted to um, get a hold of me, I would be happy to um, give them my my um, Facebook account, which is shamar.renee at facebook.com. Um, someone could hit me up that way or through regular email. It's shanks 2008 at gmail.com. Um, I'm happy to spend time with any aspiring educator because like I was taught and people gave me their um, nuggets of wisdom um, and now in the position where I can do the same and so um, we all have to learn from one another you know we all have to continue to learn from one another because none of us will ever arrive Um, there's always something else to get better at something else to learn and that's the beauty of education because principal teacher or student we are all always learning so, um, so yeah, I'm totally available to to reach out and 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 help anybody who wants to get into this work. Well, that's that's great. And once again, I like to thank you for the work that you do in the community. Um, you know, uh, there's so much other just madness that's happening in the world, um, but you are one of those uh, change makers. And like you said, you're moving or you're pushing the culture forward uh, through, um, you know, very comprehensive, very focused um, education, uh, you know, with your team, with a, with a great vision. Um, so I would like to wish you the very best of success and luck in your, in your future of education. And if you ever, you know, want to come back and join us on the rabbit hole podcast, you're more than welcome. So thanks again well, for thank you. Uh, participating in the um, interview today. Thank you so right. much. It's been You're my very, pleasure. Thank you. You're very much welcome. All right, folks, there you have it. We had another great interview with Shamar Shanks. 
and yes, a very great uh, educator within the Bay Area community here. Um, if you want to reach me, reach me at shane at shanehair.net. You can also follow us on Blog Talk Radio, and we have our Facebook group, uh, Rabbit, the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Um, and then also, if you're ever interested in participating or uh, you want to want to be a, a host, a guest on our podcast, always reach out to me if you have any ideas, any topics to cover, or you know you want to talk about a, a certain industry. Definitely give us a call here and we will be happy to, you know, have you on. So always be curious of life and discover new experiences and envision yourself in the future. You're listening to the Rabbit Hole Podcast. God damn, grand man, man laughs at God's plan. God laughs at man's trash, man plans. God, 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 for the kids who don't know, you may ask yourself, figure it out, figure it out, figure it out. Bad news, it's bad news, the damn plan got you confused. Good news, no good news. Ghetto birds, see them as views. Nowadays is the way they get paid to get saved. Pray to the stage.